What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly, and look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick-or-treating and all that, but I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, and Dana Dentata, and Satan. Well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. Listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on. I'm Dr. Wendy Walsh, host of the podcast, Mating Matters. I believe nearly every human behavior is motivated by a desire for love. I love the romantic endings. I believe in happy endings. Sex. Sometimes find myself looking for reasons to have sex. Or to hedge your reproductive odds. I've always been very active. In Mating Matters, we explore how our ancient brains are interacting with the modern world. Listen to Mating Matters on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. For the week of April 2nd, 2020, the United States has broken the 200,000 mark in terms of cases of COVID-19, making America the nation with the most reported cases in the world. The stock market has broken a record for the worst first quarter in Wall Street history, and all this snooze has nearly broken my spirit. But Politicon's panel this week, coming to you from Los Angeles, St. Petersburg, Florida, Denver, Colorado, and Raleigh, North Carolina, will... I hope liven things up some and perhaps give us a little bit of hope as they help us answer the question, how the heck are we going to get along? Hey, I'm Clay Aiken, and we are once again self-distancing ourselves from our normal live studio audience this week. Um, but our panel this week is still going to be taking your questions, um, your questions. And uh, this time, I believe we're all doing it from the comfort of our homes. Columnist, commentator, author, and advocate Sally Cohn is with us this week. Comedian, actress, and writer Aida Rodriguez political commentator, columnist, author, and U.S. Air Force veteran, Anna Paulina, and the founder and president of nonprofit group Empowered and director of outreach for Gun Owners of America, Antonia Okafor is with us. Hello, ladies. Welcome to How the Heck Are We Going to Get Along? Thanks for being with us. Anna, I'm going to start with you because you are in Florida right now. Is that right? Correct. And you have, uh, in Florida, just finally, for the first time, um, Governor DeSantis declared today that there would be a stay-at-home order um, in Florida through the end of the month. There's been, you know, a little bit of controversy, I think, with him waiting longer than some people thought he might uh, to, to enact that. And throughout that period of time where he was making up his mind, other governors have done it in different orders. California did it weeks ago. New York did it a week ago. North Carolina, we started ours on Monday. Um, there's there's some inconsistencies, some might say, in the order that these things are being done. Um, others might argue that this is states' rights and states are making decisions for themselves on what's best for their area. What's the sense in Florida and what's the sense from you on whether it's inconsistency from state to state, whether it's better that we're doing it on a state-by-state basis, or if we should be having more leadership nationwide. You know, I think that it's better that we go on a state-by-state basis. And I can say that in the beginning, when you had, you know, this first rumor of, you know, this thing called Corona, a lot of people didn't know what to really expect, right? I know there was a lot of disinformation going out, um, not just from, you know, our own media people that were assuming a lot, but even places like China. Now we know it's a big threat. 
Um, initially, Florida responded by asking people to be responsible, do the social distancing, try not to do um, large publicly gathered areas. But the problem in Florida is we have such a strong economy based on tourism, and a lot of people were coming here to spring break, not even taking it seriously. So um, for us, with the response that DeSantis did do, and now that everyone is at home and being responsible, I think it's the best thing that we could have done. Um, I think, that, again, this is one of those things that no one really knows what to expect, and obviously you don't want people regardless of party affiliation, whether they're old or young, getting hurt and getting sick. And I think that, you know, given circumstances, it was a responsible way that was handled. And I'm glad that people are now listening and erring on the side of caution. Aida, better to have a state-by-state thing or nationwide? You know, what's interesting is I'm from Florida and within Florida itself, there were different mandates in according to cities because like uh, in Miami, uh, Mayor Suarez and Jimenez uh, had they implemented a curfew in Miami where people could not can't go out between ten and five a.m. in the morning. Um, you know, I I agree with what uh, she said because I'm from Florida and I know how much uh, New York comes to Miami for spring break and people come there and they party and they do whatever they want. But I think that there has to be some accountability for all of the, the citizens of the country at some point, and there has to be something. Um, you know, national in place. But I think that I understand why people feel threatened by that, because that feels a lot like, you know, I don't know, Cuba, but <laughs> it just it's- you, you absolutely are right. I mean, people were going out basically completely disregarding it, not were even worrying about the fact that there's so many older people that are susceptible to this. So I think it's, you know, your voice, especially with the younger generation, getting people to realize, hey, this is our responsibility to really care for the older generation as well. We all need to be doing our part. Yeah. And you know, what's funny. It's like they, they highlight Florida and, you know, for right now, I think it's so so important for us to be more concerned with the people than the, than the politics, right? We've gotten, we're we're so partisan. We get, we, we do, we do the Yankees, Red Sox thing, but people are dying and people that we know are contracting COVID and it is becoming something that's very ugly. So I, I just think right now we should really be focusing on the well-being of our citizens. Florida has a lot of older people, but they hi- they like to highlight Florida because Florida is good for the news because a lot of crazy things do happen in Florida. But people people were not staying at home all over, you know, and they, they always make it seem like it's this redneck thing in Florida. But if you look at Brentwood in California, which is a more affluent community, they were out there on Sunday for the farmer's market mm-hmm. and they were out there with babies on top of each other saying that they were supporting small businesses. Sally, what, what part of part of the reason that I think things have become a little bit political is that there is this divide now between those who believe that it's more important that we keep people safe and people healthy and protected from the virus versus this group of folks who think we need to protect the economy and get the economy back open again. What where do you what do you feel is the most important, Sally? I, I, I mean, I, it's it's truly one of these moments. I can't believe we're having this conversation and. And, mm-hmm. you know, to be honest, I can't believe, I mean, obviously I'm a partisan, obviously I'm a lefty mm-hmm. Democrat and all those things, but good Lord, I really did think that this would be the kind of moment that 
you know, folks on the right and especially Trump and the Trump supporters could put it all to the side and just say, we are all Americans. This is a disaster. This is a crisis. We need to come together. Uh, we're, we're not going to make this a political issue. We're not going to wear campaign hats to CDC. We're not going to bash the other party. We're not, we're going to stop attacking the media. We're going to all finally pull together. And the fact, uh, that so much of the basic science and survival has been politicized and, and, and politicized by the right, frankly. I mean, there's not a, <laughs> it's like, it's, don't you it's so real quick. Sorry to interrupt, but don't you think that, you know, in a circumstance when you had information coming from China um, and that China wasn't necessarily forthcoming with the information that they're presenting to the United States government in regards to how we should respond to it, don't you think that that, is a factor in all this. Cause now you even had today during president Trump's secretary or a press conference, him coming out to say, look, this is not the flu. Um, initially he wasn't even getting the right information from their sources that they had. And, you know, people are wanting to work together. You have every single major manufacturing company trying right now to do what they can money aside to literally donate and use their facilities to manufacture masks and manufacture ventilators. I mean, people don't want this. Mm. And, you know, frankly, as someone who is, you know, polar opposite, I don't want you to get sick. I don't want Democrats to be sick. I just want people to go back to normal and more people will suffer if the economy shut down permanently. Mainly that would basically lead to, in my opinion, a global depression. And we, that more people will die because of that. Well, we're heading for, I agree with Anna in the whole aspect of things that, you know, we obviously, I think, I don't think you even needed to make that partisan at all. I don't think it's a Democrat versus Republican thing at all. I think it's, um, essentially, the difference that we are having is the difference we always have, and that's the role of government. Uh, Republicans feel that they should allow local government to make the decisions, and then mm, a lot of Democrats are wanting more big government um, to overreach and to, to take part of this whole situation and to mitigate this situation. And so I think that's part of it is that we just have very different ideas of how we're going to get through this. Um, but I don't think it's a part of it. Except that we ex except. Okay, I mean, here's the problem: is is fact and science don't necessarily have to be partisan, and they get politicized when they're inconvenient. And so I obviously didn't have all the information about this crisis early on, and there are certain things. I mean, look, I'm a I'm a proud capitalist, and there are certain things that I know the market can't handle, and there are certain things we need government to do, and there are certain things that I support my local government, I believe in localization, and there are certain things that local governments can't do. So, you know, it, it's no one here is a, a you know, a absolutist on anything. But at a certain point, this is kind of, it's, it's eerily similar in a way to Russia interfered in our election. Like, everyone uh, seems to agree. <laughs> whoa, 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 just, excuse me, I let you talk. There, but everyone agreed our, our intelligence services, the, the, the people we have historically relied on left, right, and center to keep us safe all agreed on that. Uh, and in, we have one notable person who didn't and denied the facts and the reality. And similarly, listen, obviously the white house knew that coronavirus is dangerous enough because they sent all of our medical equipment, a lot of our medical equipment over to China to help. So, you know, listen, like, I don't understand when you, I was raised, when you make a mistake, you admit it. Well, we didn't respond fast enough, and I'm sorry. I'm still. I'm sorry. I'm hang on. I'm sorry. I'm still talking. Let's Sally. Let's let Sally finish, and then Anna, you can hop in. And more importantly, is you know, listen. Hailing from New York, 
obviously there are moments, and this is, by the way, also left, right, and center, just like you have Republicans saying, let's give cash assistance to Americans and not just big business, right? By the way, everybody wants government to do something. It's just a few people on the right who want to bail out just corporate America. Everybody, but even Republicans are saying we have to give money to people. But similarly, you can't just leave New York to fend for itself and have state by state compete over life, you know, getting life-saving equipment. You have to have a traffic cop in this. You have to have, I mean, good Lord, this is why we are the United States of America. If we don't actually see a role for government in this moment, what the hell are we doing? Let Anna get in here. So back in January, Senator Tom Cotton was actually tracking this and did advise at that time to Congress um, that basically we needed to get ahead of this. Now, no one anticipates that we are going to have to have something like this, a global pandemic hit the United States. And the fact is this, is that the United States was not prepared for this because of previous administrations, previous policies, whether they're Democrat or Republican. So you can't just blame one person, one party for this not responding fast enough when at the end of the day, you literally have Ford Motors, someone who's coming together to make 50000 in ventilators, every single other manufacturer, those companies that received bailouts like Boeing and the other airline companies are literally operating. They're using their facilities not only to deliver equipment for free, but to manufacture the things that we need. They should. They should because they don't take care of their employees. They don't. They got bailouts. They got they they make a lot of money on the from the American people who work and they should they should Mm -hmm. be manufacturing stuff. And what's happening right now is not a battle of ideas. One more second, I'll let you go. Um, Even one more thing. I mean, you look at the fact that we don't have enough masks. All those masks were being made in Malaysia, places like China, places that we sent our American industry over to. So we could not, no matter what we tried, if we wanted to supply our own hospitals, our own veterans hospitals with the equipment that they needed. So to seriously hold the United States government and people that have been elected basically four years ago accountable for this is irresponsible. And frankly, it's not the time or the place for it. it. No, they should be held accountable because if we don't hold them accountable, we can't hold Obama accountable for everything that, that happens now. <laughs> well, I, Obama. Obama. No, 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 I know, but he said freedom communism. But Donald Trump does it all the time. So let's not act like we don't hear him every single time that, the that there is okay, Let me finish talking because I was talking. We're not, no, we're not having we're not having a, a battle between ideologies about government. We're having a battle in America between the haves and the have-nots. And that is the battle that we're having. These corporations who have their the, their feet on the necks of the American working people, it's very easy for a privilege to talk about things that the average working person is struggling with right now. And so when we have these conversations about what's happening right now, all these senators, and, and I'm talking about Nancy Pelosi's ass too. I'm not just talking about Republicans. You're talking about a bunch of people who are doing just fine right now. Ted Cruz... COVID, but he's going to be okay. It's not like the poor people throughout the country who will not have access to not even the test. So who do we hold accountable? Of course, we have to hold our government accountable. Let me get in and ask. Let me get in and because I don't want I don't want to ignore the the comment and the 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 angle you are taking. But I want to get back to I want to get back a little bit to Antonia's earlier remark. I want to ask you, Antonia, is there a role for the federal government at all? Because it, it sounded like you wanted, you you implied maybe, and I'm not putting words in your mouth, it sounded like maybe you were saying the states and the local government should be making these decisions when it comes to quarantine. But when we have a country where interstate travel is is free, is there not a place and a time when the federal government should get involved to keep other states protected from something that's going out of control in New York? 
Yeah, I absolutely think that there are places and times when the federal government can get involved. I think Trump has been doing exactly what he should be doing, which is advising states, advising uh, governors on what they should be doing. Um, Example of what he's doing right now with the 15-day, now 30-day this social distancing program that he has, it is to advise, it is to make sure that those governors have what they need in order to govern their states correctly. Because every, like, like Cuomo even said, New York is not the same thing as Dallas. You know, Dallas is not the same thing as San Francisco. So those people and those places are the ones who are going to know their people. They're going to know how they best to govern. And then they're going to be able to know how to be able to implement the policies that are best for their people. So that's really what it comes down to. Right, but do you worry at any point about those folks who are infected in New York going to Dallas? I mean, I guess that's the question. And Sally, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I want to get you to jump in here and tell me if I'm interpreting it right. I think that's where some of the concern is that the federal government should be more involved because a disease is not something that the governor of New York can contain within the state of New York on his own, and and it travels around the country. Is that where you're saying the federal government should have a larger role, Sally? Well, I'm saying that, you know, I mean, look, I don't, I really, I I understand that nobody wants to inject politics into this. And I also, you know, am old enough to remember eight years uh, of President Obama, who I enthusiastically supported and criticized when he was wrong and made missteps. So uh, listen, the more uh, our current president can do right on this, the better. Uh, So you know, I want us to succeed in this. Um, but I think it takes leadership. And we're talking about a pandemic for a reason, just like you want to have countries, right? We said before, you want to have, uh, uh, you know, China being transparent and sharing its information. You want to know, well, what worked in South Korea and what worked in here and what worked there? And what is Italy doing? What are they learning? And how can we, just like we want to have the global community sharing information and even resources, as I mentioned earlier, the U.S. sent, uh, you know, sent medical uh, devices abroad. Uh, there was a story today that Politico reported that the you know White House called up uh, Bangkok and said, "Well, hey, do you have any medical devices you can send to us?" And they said, "Actually, you just sent a whole bunch to us uh, at this exact moment." Interestingly, so just like you want to have the world community coordinating, you want to have our nation actually functioning as a nation. And it's not just about the porousness between states, which is certainly a factor, right? Uh, that if one, you know, there's different rules for one neighborhood than another, that you're going to easily see how those rules break down. But also you need to be able to disperse tools, life-saving tools and resources to communities when there are hotspots. And the state's can't manage that, right? You need actually someone with that bird's eye view looking down at the whole nation saying, okay, right now we need resources in Detroit and New York City and and New Orleans, but in a few weeks, we're going to need them here and there. And how are we going to get these extra doctors and ventilators? And that is actually the role of a federal government, just like preventing pandemics and planning for these things and having teams in place, uh, full teams in place that are monitoring things around the world. That's, that's why, again, if we literally don't have a federal, if we don't understand the role of a federal government for this kind of thing, I don't really understand why we have one. Anna, we have a question from Tariq in Philadelphia. I want to let you, I want to let you answer hers, but I want to throw this in too. Tariq in Philadelphia says, are we all nationalists in a pandemic? And I want to attack onto that and say, you know, the, the president has certainly 
been a strong supporter of the United States being the most powerful, strongest country in the world. Um, and, and I could think some would argue that he has a nationalist streak to, uh, to some of his rhetoric. Are we supposed to be, should we be nationalists in a pandemic? That's Tariq's question. And is the president behaving like a nationalist right now? I think the president's behaving like he cares for this country. And I can say that, you know, part of the role of what he's doing, and he's been doing great with setting up FEMA, allowing FEMA to actually take in um, donations to disperse accordingly around the country. You have everyone that should be working together for the betterment of this country. But I can say that, you know, to answer this question twofold, because of our manufacturing capability, because of the fact that you have so many of these businesses stepping up to the plate, like GM, Honeywell, Ralph Lauren, Brooks Brothers, Under Armour, Boeing, Lockheed Martin. I mean, we're talking about not just millions of uh, masks being in production and gowns and ventilators, but in the next couple of weeks or here with the production kicked on and with the fact that the president's really seen an uptick in manufacturing capability that we haven't seen since World War II, we're not just going to be able to help the United States, we're going to be able to help the world. And I think that right now, like the president says, fighting an invisible enemy, politics aside, we should be doing everything that we can to make sure that there is a limited loss of life. And if that means, you know, having these organizations, these businesses step up to do so, then absolutely. And if that means loving your country and supporting every step of the way, then that's something that we should all be doing. Aida, is the president or this administration doing anything right in this pandemic? Have they handled anything in a way I mean, that you've, you're satisfied? Well, they're not a monolith. So when we talk about the government and w- when we talk about the Republican Party and the GOP, a lot of us, a lot of people who are not uh, right wingers, you know, get into this conversation and they p- they paint them all with a broad stroke. I think that there is some validity to there. There are there's a spectrum of people who support the Republican Party. When you see some people that say this is not OK, this is not OK. And some of these things are not being handled properly. And I don't agree with you. I don't think Donald I, what I think Donald Trump has done has been, you know, he is campaigning, meanwhile, addressing a pandemic. And so we can't do that right now. So when you target the governor of Michigan or when you are having a battle of who has the biggest whatever with with the, the governor of New York, that's not conducive to survival for the people of the country. And so I I do think that there has to be some accountability. I do not respect people who support Donald Trump who cannot say when he does things wrong. I don't respect people like that because I I love Obama, right? I voted for Obama, but I think that Obama did a great disservice to people of color. I think that there there was a spike in in people being deported, a, a lot of the things that I don't stand for. And I was able to say that. But when you talk to people who support Trump, it seems like some of them, because all of them are not, they're the cult people, just like they got the Bernie cult people. And then you have the people who can say, yeah, I don't really rock with that. I don't think that that's okay for him to say this about a person. I don't think this is very presidential. I don't think this behavior is very mature. I don't think that this is coming from a humanity, from the standpoint of humanity. But I I just think that this whole celebrity worship thing that people have developed with Donald Mm. Trump, people of color trying to associate with upward mobility and, and shitting on themselves like i just mm. don't i don't rock with that so you make a, so you make a really good point and and i want to and i want to pose the same question that you posed in a way to antonia in a second but where you where you asked about people who support trump being able to call him out um when he's done something wrong but just to call you out for a second the question was has president trump done anything right in this and if you, you think the what? answer to that is no that i'm fine with it but i wanted to see if you could answer it for me has he done anything right <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, I think that as he is, he is coloring by numbers, right? So 
there are days where I feel like, okay, he's, he's trying to do something. One thing you can see on his face is, I don't know if y'all can see it, but when you see Donald Trump and you can see the worry on his face, when I finally saw that worry, that's when I got scared because he looked like, I don't know uh, what's going mm-hmm. on. I, can I tell you that uh, I think he does everything wrong? No. And if he does every, if he doesn't do, if he does everything wrong, then every other president has done it. I am not one of those people that thinks that uh, anybody is perfect. I think that everybody is multifaceted. Do I like the way that he operates? No, I don't like the way that he behaves. I don't like the way that he's, that he, I hate the way that he talks to people. I don't like the way he talks to women. The people in Michigan, I know people in Michigan who are suffering right now. So whether you have a problem with that, the governor of Michigan or not, I I don't, but do I think he does? Right. Go, yeah. go ahead. No, go ahead. I was. Uh, I mean, I. I, was, I can. I, I can hear you breathing. Like, are you breathing hard? So I'm like, let her get it no, out. No, no, no. Hope you have. Hope you're not sick now, Sally. Amen. No, no. I'm. Listen. I'm happy to say things. I think he's done well. Uh, yeah. Which is, I think that you know, engaging a task force, taking it seriously, especially having Dr. Fauci. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and experts and, and epidemiologists in the lead trying to speed, uh, you know, both vaccines and tests and trying to expand and clear some of the uh, path to that for the FDA. Again, things I wish had happened sooner, but I'm glad they're doing now. I'm glad he's taking the disease seriously, not saying it's not like the flu. I'm glad he extended his, he backed down from wanting to open everything back up on uh, Easter and extended the the federal guidelines so i think that there's a lot of movement and by the way mobilizing manufacturing uh you know toward life-saving devices critical all of those things are positive i you know i have to say i have um so a uh, a close friend of ours father died uh of coronavirus and i keep thinking about him and i keep thinking you know not not red, not blue, not left, not right, not Democrat, not Republican, but as Americans, did this have to happen? And what could we and should we have done differently? And therefore, what is that? Inf- how does that inform what we could and should be doing differently now uh, to prevent this? And I, what is hard for me in this moment is I feel like um, he's certainly the first person I've known to die, may not be the last from this disease, and that we're all going to uh, suffer extraordinarily, not only these personal losses, but obviously this economic hardship, the hardship of just being pent up for all this time. And it is it is pretty hard to look at places like South Korea or, or that did that you know, had their same uh, diagnosis, same first case on the same day and have effectively addressed it and wonder what could we have done differently? Because I have to say, I don't believe that America is is exceptional, but I do believe we're extraordinary. And I don't think our response has been very extraordinary. And I, we may not always be as united as we'd like to be, but I believe we aspire to be united and our response has not been united. And Antonio, I told you I'd come to you. I want to, I want to give you the opportunity. We're not South Korea. That's but I want to give you the opportunity, Antonia, to respond to her, but also to let us know if there's anything. Your your answer is, well, we're Americans, so we die. I mean, what's your point? No, I'm not saying that. You're saying that why we should have been better than this. What could we have done to prevent this? What to prevent a global faster testing? We were quicker public information. 
Okay, and before I even go into that, I was going to say that, there, like you said, all Trump supporters are not the same. And I will be the one of the first people who are going to be consistent in that saying a lot of Republicans, particularly conservatives and libertarians, did not like the way he handled with the stimulus package of putting a $2 trillion stimulus package through. I mean, we do not believe that that is part of what government should be doing. And for Republicans to have pushed that through, that's something where, again, people look at those responses and how we handle the situations and then say we're hypocrites. So I totally understand that there are definitely people who don't support everything that he does. But at the end of the day, we are all Americans and we're going to kind of like the nationalist type of thinking of we're going to support United States first. And there are different ways of how we handle this pandemic versus South Korea versus Italy. And that's okay. We're just going to have to figure out what is best for the over 300 million people in the United States uh, with 50 other 50. But is there an argument? Is there an argument at all, though, that that if we are having if we're having far, far more cases than per capita than some of those other countries, the way we're handling it may not be the best way even for us? Anna, you can answer or Antonio, either one. Yeah, I was going to just interject. I mean, initially, looking back at what happened, we didn't even really know that there was a problem until these poor people in China were literally releasing videos on TikTok because their journalists and whistleblower doctors were literally getting killed by the Chinese government for speaking out as to what was happening. Then the United States responded responds by trying to send some of the best scientists that we have and pathologists in the world. Well, can, can, we, can, can we say this, though? Can, is it safe to say that when people say that China withheld information from us, why, why is it that we are surprised? I mean, um, when do we expect China to be honest and forthcoming with us? When that becomes like a talking point like that, you know, I feel like it's a communist country. Look at the poor people that live over there that we so we, we do agree on this. We agree that China is not necessarily going to be giving us the most honest. No, and, and so why do, we rely, why do we rely so, on it? Why, so should we should we should can we blame them then? Is that your point? Aida? Can we no, blame no, them for I'm not giving us it. information? No, if like, we, we should have expected it. We should err on the side of caution. Like we're we're better than that. We're smarter than that. Just to, do do we really rely on the people that we say we don't trust? We've been hearing about how much we don't trust China. How if they don't bend the knee, we're gonna we're gonna uh, disconnect from them. We're, we've been talking about this for a long time. I can say that, you know, back when China, and I totally agreed with you on that one, back when China's literally putting out a video of their own people saying, we're healthy, we're happy, there's nothing yes. wrong here. Any kind of communist government says that, okay, you should probably get freaked out. Um, mm-hmm. I can say that, you know, because of that, though, because of what you just said, Senator Tom Khan advised yes. the administration to cut travel from China at that point to prevent the amount of spread cases. We just mm-hmm. didn't know what we were getting into. So I can say that because of that, because of at least that somewhat form of caution that we had then that did prevent i think regardless of what a lot of people say um a lot more cases being here in the united states now i really do hope that people listening to this take it seriously social distance it does work we have to be cautious but in regards to the pointing of the fingers i don't think that that's going to help anything we need to be working together focusing on the bigger task at hand and that's conquering this virus and sally is there is there a stopped banned travel to China in January 31st and then had Democrats who were saying that was going way too far and it wouldn't help. So I feel like that's part of it too, is that if we're going to call out people who are saying that 
why can't you be able to talk about the failings of Trump? Well, Trump did do something early. Um, and a lot of people thought it was too much. So I think that's part of it. Why did wax replicants crowd an Italian church? And what do wax organs tell us about the history of medicine? Why does the Minotaur still intrigue us? And why would its bovine mouth crave human flesh? Hi, I'm Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. Join us on the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast for the entire month of October as we take our annual descent into a host of bloody, monstrous, and terrifying topics. From forest spirits that beckon you off the path to wax sculptors on a rampage, we'll be looking at spooky subjects all this month to peel away the flesh and reveal the underlying science and history and leave you with an even richer understanding of a world that's always weirder than we can imagine. What sorts of scientific concepts can we glean from episodes of The Outer Limits or Tales from the Dark Side? And what's the ghastly history and promising future of blood substitutes? Join us to find out. New Halloween-themed episodes publish twice a week, with older Vault episodes re-entering the world on Saturdays to spread around some of last year's grisly offerings. Listen to the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I knew they were going to kill him. Police ain't FBI. This is Fight Night, a new podcast from iHeartRadio. This is the story about two guys from opposite sides of the street. A hustler blamed for robbing the most dangerous gangsters in the country. This is like issuing a, a death warrant for me for something that I don't even know anything about. And the cop who tried to save his life. They thought he had robbed the deadliest man in this country. Guys who would not hesitate to blow your head off. In 1970, Muhammad Ali triumphantly returned to the ring. At the hustler's party that followed, gangsters from around the country were robbed of a million dollars. This story from Atlanta, Georgia, has been reported for 50 years. But now, for the first time, you're going to hear what really happened from the people who lived it. Listen and follow Fight Night on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Sally, is there a lack of a clarion opposition voice on the left right now is is should joe biden be doing more um if he's the presumptive nominee should he be speaking out more should he be speaking out to criticize the president should he be speaking out to try to assist the president in some way where is the democrats leader at the moment yeah i don't know i think he's a pretty this is where you you get the nominee you wanted and i've i've for some time now thought uh, I feel like we could kind of use a do-over on this um, because I'm not sure uh, in the moment we're in and the, the sort of situation and the nature of, you know, uh, listen, I, normal disclaimer statement, I will support the Democratic nominee, whoever that nominee may be. And, you know, uh, Joe Biden's sort of claim to electability was he would be the return to normalcy for America. Well, now we're in a situation where things may never be the same ever again. And, uh, and so I think, you know, I think he is a, um, you know, dyed in the wool old school politician in the sense that he is very careful in a moment like this to not stick his neck out, to not be seen as politicking or engaging in politics. And there's yeah. something said for that in, you know, uh, maybe the way things were four years ago, but the way things are now, I do think his voice and his leadership is 
missing. And that being said, we happen to have a very deep bench and a lot of strong people uh, on the party, both in Congress and out, out who are being very, I think, uh, strong voices and, and making strong moral points and in this moment. And, well, and so I'm so I'm con- a little confused. Then, so is the, is the <laughs> desire to not put politics into this pandemic, or is it that we should be putting more politics into it and have a I, democratic nominee who is, is more we, political? We shouldn't politicize the pandemic. Politics is not going anywhere. The politics yes. is already here, right? But th- we shouldn't politicize the pandemic. And no. Joe Biden has not been uh, the leader. When people say that they want to return to normalcy, I would like to know what normalcy they're talking about. That as a person of color, you know what I mean? Like as a woman, as a person of color, when they say we want to get America back to where it used to be, what exactly are they talking about? Because when you're talking about with Joe Biden, who's riding off of the Obama train, well, let's be real, and got so many people Mm -hmm. of color just falling behind him and fawning after him because he they assume that he's the Obama guy. What exactly are we trying to get back to? Like, I I just think that the world will never be the same again. And so that's why I get people get mad at me from everywhere because I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not in this to be a fan of somebody. I want this country to be the best that it can be for everybody in it. And Sorry, until I we get uh, to let me, I, oh, let me just be real clear. I'm not saying he was my choice, oh, right? And I'm not endorsing, like, I do not think we need to return uh, to quote-unquote normalcy, and the status quo was really, really problematic. Listen, and and it's part of what got me, us, made us so vulnerable yeah. in this moment, and the inequality that this disease is clearly preying upon. So, I, and let me just say this yes. about Joe Biden real quickly, because he took a long time to even respond, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody else was like, hey, man, I don't know everything, but I got to show up to the people. He disappeared, but he was in D-Nice's Instagram party. Whoever was managing, if it was him or whoever's managing his social media, throwing a thumbs up on an Instagram party in the middle of this pandemic without making an announcement about what he thought about what was, what was happening in the country with regards to this pandemic. And I think we just need to start calling out all of these people. I'll say this. I'll say this. If I were a Republican, if I were a Republican listening to how the heck are we going to get along for the past two weeks, I would be in a really good mood because for the second week in a row, both of the progressives on our panel have... poo-pooed the idea of Joe Biden as the as the president and we as the nominee and we tend to try to have someone from the establishment left so to speak and the and the uh, anti-establishment left and every single one of the four has been disappointed in Joe Biden does yeah. that excite you Anna does that make you feel like <laughs> your your nominee or your your incumbent is in a much better position i mean last week Torre um, who has traditionally been a supporter of Biden was not satisfied um, with Biden. Sally, you have very clearly stated that you will support the Democratic nominee, whoever it is. You asked for a do-over a minute ago. Anna, does this excite you? You know, um, I'm not a fan of Biden. I think that Biden's, you know, I think he's a weirdo. Um, And I can tell you that, you know, in general, I can say that part of the problem with politics is, is that you have people that go there and they do it. They think they're going to retire and they're there for, you know, 30, 20, 30 years. Um, Not they're not even plugged into what the people 
you know, the voting class, the working class is really fighting for. And I can tell you that, you know, maybe I'm an anomaly in the sense that, you know, I come from a working class family. My dad stocks shelves at a grocery store. Um, you think I don't worry about that? Like his response to everything that's happening. I don't take that into account to everything that I do. And I try raise awareness on because that's the type of person that really is affected by this. The people that are working every single night to make sure that we can get the food on our table. I mean, that hits really close to home. And when you have people running away from a problem, hiding, and then using their party BS to really not help people, but make it a political play, it disgusts me. And that's part of the reason why I'm running for office. I'm tired of that. And and I'll tell you, I know the Republicans I know, they're turned off by Joe Biden because they feel like he's pandering to them. So that that is he is so like it's just been so ridiculous. And listen, I'm not a psychiatrist, nor am I a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. But can we be clear about all of his incoherent messages? Can we agree that every single time you see him talking and shuffling papers and the stuff that's coming out of his mouth at some point? I think the people around them are cruel. Like what is going, we need to be honest about these things because it just seems like, am I crazy? Because I watch him and I'm like, what is he talking about? Mm. Antonia, Antonia, the, 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 a lot of people who I think, listen, I'm, I'm, I think I own my bias as well. And I've, I've run as for Congress as a Democrat. So no one's going to be confused uh, as to where I stand on issues. But, um, I, I think a lot of people who supported Joe Biden, Antonia, um, on the Democratic side, at least believed that he might, maybe this is answering Ayuda's question a little bit. He might try to return things to a place where like this podcast is struggling to find out where people can get along. And one of the things that I think surprised a lot of folks this week was he was asked um, uh, about Nancy Pelosi's question about Donald Trump having blood on his hands. And he was asked to respond to that. And he said specifically that Donald Trump is not responsible for coronavirus. And I think he tried to take a gentler tack than Mm -hmm. some of the Democrats in the past uh, who are currently in office have tried to take, um, so he's, I think for some people in the Democratic Party, he symbol, symbolized a return to trying to get along with the other side. So my question for you, Antonia, is, is it too late for that? It, does it matter? Do people want to get along anymore? And is trying to get along a waste of time and energy? I think definitely the attraction to Biden is that people want that, like she was saying, the sense of normalcy back. Um, I think he definitely is the polished politician um, when it comes to everything like that. And well, on the fact that the news media doesn't talk about the fact that he has gaffes like saying that poor kids are just as bright as white kids um, or, Mm -hmm. you know, cursing out a worker um, and saying that he just doesn't want to have AR-14s, which don't exist. Um, That's the type of stuff that just completely is, if anything has or already has, uh, just completely pushed off and turned off those people in middle America, which I mean, I remember when Trump won and New York Times and NPR, they got it for a second that maybe we should be listening to middle America. And here we are again, a nominee as Biden, who is the epitome of a sharp looking politician um, being the person who is the nominee for the Democratic Party and doesn't get anything about the about minimal America at all. So yeah, I think that's I what it is. This, this is an election about normalcy. It's not about I'm excited about this mm-hmm. candidate. Look, I was a Democrat before I voted for, for Donald, uh, Donald. I voted for um, Obama twice. 
in 2008 and 2012. And I still respect the family. I'm not going to be one of those people who are going to try and degrade um, Obama or even his legacy. I just changed values. I just didn't have the same values as the Democratic Party. And that's it. And I think that's really what it comes down to to a lot of people is what do I want to do? I see that person. Am I reflected in that person that's going to be the leader of the United States or do I not? And do my values match with that person? Sally, you laughed when I suggested, you laughed, Sally, when I suggested that maybe it was too late. Um, (laughs) It was too late to try to get along. Did you have a thought on that? Oh, I, uh, listen, I, well, okay. So part of the issue here is we all like to think as Democrats that our preferred candidate would be behaving differently in this moment. But the fact is, Mm -hmm. is that, uh, you know, that while no one was really noticing because it was the most anticlimactic end of a primary, it just sort of, you know, faded into a virus. uh, You know, the primary is in effect over. Now Biden is in effect running in a general election, except that there's no campaigning. And it's just a very, it is, Either way, as a general election candidate, at least again, pre, you know, back in normal days, you would be trying to, uh, you know, appeal to the broadest base and you're not. It, and again, in the middle of this kind of crisis, you don't want to necessarily be. It's this weird thing where, yes, you want to be campaigning, but you don't really want to be politicking. And that is a hard position for anyone to be in. And we like to think that maybe our candidate would have behaved differently in this moment, but maybe they wouldn't have. Now, Okay. Your other question. I happen to believe uh, that the uh, perhaps central uh, thing that we need to figure out how to do as a nation is is come together, and that doesn't mean come to you know leave aside our beliefs, our values, our uniqueness, our differences, uh, but it does mean figure out how we have those differences of opinion, differences of identity, differences of even even core values sometimes, while at the same time also connecting with, remembering, and embracing what we share in common, right? And I think that as much as we're even arguing in this conversation, like, we all agree we don't want people to die. Uh, yeah, and then we then agree we other- wish we'd done some things differently. We hope we do some things going... Like, there, you know, there is a lot that connects us, and I think, unfortunately... Um, and this is a historic phenomenon in our country, right? Historically, the United States has really, really struggled with everyone being included in the American project. And we are at a stage where we are doing that again. We were already having that struggle again. And now we have a deadly virus mapped on top of that inequality and injustice. So figuring out how we actually all, all move forward together is going to be if it was, it was the central, I think, question before, and certainly in the wake of the devastation of this virus is going to be our core challenge as, as a people. Let me throw one more bomb in the water before we move on to our quick fire questions from the, from our um, listeners. Uh, Aida, is this the ideal time to be making an argument for universal health care? Absolutely. (laughs) I think well, that why? whatever version is, you know, it's funny, in. the, the, uh, where, where are we going to get the money from that whole, where are we going to get the money from? And this trillion package came out of, of nowhere where we finally found out where we get the money from. Um, yes, because the people, so see, this is the thing that I think about. I don't hate, uh, I don't hate anybody. So I, I don't operate from that. What I operate from is thinking about the average person. 
Now, when you talk about the 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 lower income neighborhoods of people who include white, black, brown alike, it's not just black and brown people who are poor. There are a lot of poor white people in this country. And you talk about the these extremists because that's who has the bullhorn. Those are the people that have the cameras on them all the time are the extremists is the people who are always chanting and they're always fighting and they hate the other side and they hate and they use all the terms to to you know talk mad about other people meanwhile the average person that has to go to work every day that doesn't have time for that they don't have time to be on instagram but tell me about health care because listen, that's what listen, i have to about. The, I'm, I'm about to tell you about health care those are the people <laughs> that need that, that are going to suffer the most in a situation like this right because chris jenner went and got tested for this and she didn't even have a symptom and she went and got tested for it my mother still hasn't gotten tested for this and she has cold symptoms in florida so what of course i i would believe that this is a time for universal health care that does not mean that i want america to be cuba because we Uh, have well i'm not finished i'm not finished finished. because we i know we we get into the socialist socialism talk and my father's from cuba we start having these conversations and people start saying we are socialists when it benefits the top when it benefits rich people but when it comes down to the average man we repel that so yes it is a time for universal health care for for these people who are suffering right now the people who are dying in the hospitals by themselves the people who the 16 year old boy in california who couldn't even be go to the hospital because he didn't have health care and died well i want to let Anna get in here and 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 make the counter argument because there is i mean there is a strong argument from some people on the left that you know everything that Ayuda just said that we this is a time where we should have far greater access to health care the president even specifically mm-hmm. you know worked with pharmaceutical companies healthcare companies to make testing uh free is does it does it weaken the conservative argument when we have a pandemic um does it weaken the conservative argument that healthcare should be still in control of uh of private insurance companies so here's my perspective on it and i think i bring a unique approach and one that i was looking at doing the whole medical school doctor route and i kind of know a, a little bit about what's involved in regards to why health insurance is so high from a physician and a carrier perspective um the problem with universal health care is that in theory in theory it sounds great but is actually possible to be done, one being that we don't have enough doctors, nurses, and then in addition to that, the quality of healthcare drastically declines, which is why a majority of people that do offer universal healthcare in other countries end up coming to the United States for treatment because at the end of the day, they're not actually able to sustain some of those life-saving procedures. But moving forward with that, I can say that, you know, I do think insurance should be more affordable, and I do think that you should have people that, for example, like my dad, who literally stocks shelves, should be able to afford that on that wage, but that has to come through legislation reform at the top down. And the problem is, is you have so much corporate interest mm-hmm. keeping you know, politicians on both sides of the table pushing legislation so that reform can't happen. And so I think that when we're looking at how do you actually take something like that, how do you apply it, make it affordable, but not necessarily, when I say universal health care, that's something that comes out of the taxpayer. I want to give people an option to afford it, but not necessarily where you're forcing and then essentially bankrupting the economy to do so. I think that everyone, and this is coming from someone who literally wanted to become a doctor, open up my own clinic for low-income people, um, you have to do it from the top down. And that has to come in 
from D.C. on both sides, from people that are not being controlled and lobbying for these corporate interests. I, I would, okay. I would, I just wanted to say something about that because I really think that one of the things that I really would love for us to do is to be, we, we have to be objective when we talk about other countries. We really like to pump our chest a lot and say that America is the greatest at a lot of things, but we do, we do go seek uh, medical guidance and advice in other countries that do not need us, right? We, we, we were knocking on Germany's door trying to find out about how to, to flatten the curve in America. So we have to stop operate, uh, talking like we're just the best at everything. And we're not. We are just like everybody else, imperfect, flawed. And yes, I do think that uh, it, it, this is a matter of corporations and on both sides. But I do not think that that is going to diminish or devalue the quality of healthcare in this country if it's accessible to everybody. And the reason why we don't have the doctors is because it's so expensive to become a doctor in this country. And we have so many people in debt because they can't go to school. And we don't, we, we're, we're looking at it from a, a specific, looking at it specifically, but we don't look at it holistically. And there are a lot of things that need to be reformed so that this, actual system could work for everybody in this country. And I'm tired of, of poor people always the poor people always getting the shorter the short end of the stick everywhere you go. And that has nothing to do with race. There is a doctor shortage and I do believe that if we could make going to medical school one not so darn expensive because it really is. Yeah. I mean had it not been for the military, I wouldn't have been able to even afford it. I would have been, mm-hmm. you know, probably hundred thousand dollars in debt and then it would that would be it. Um, but the point is, is when you're looking at this and how to actually make it something to where people can, you know, attain it and access it, um, it's a really big problem. And Clay, I'm sure you know, yeah. like, you know what it's like to run for Congress. You know what happens with lobbyists. You know when you go in what you're taking on. And the thing is, the objective is, is if you can raise that clean money is what I call it, and then get in there to do that reform. I mean, that's really the only way that we'll see change that's really for the betterment of the people and not these other groups. So I say that, you know, on that topic, you know, coming from a perspective of one, I'm still married to a military member. I still have TRICARE, which is a military health insurance. Um, you know, if there's an option for me to go on base or off base, I choose to go off base because at the end of the day, um, it's not the best healthcare. And, you know, part of the problem that we have, even with the VA now is that although the military promises insurance and healthcare for some of the veterans and I myself use it, what ends up happening is because of that, um, you have a lot of red tape and sometimes people that are not incentivized to be as good as they could be because they know that they're going to be getting that VA paycheck. Um, they're not providing the best care. And I think that in theory, again, it sounds great, but the problem is, is I think people and, you know, we just can't put too much of a trust in government to do that when at the end of the day, we could do it and reform it in a different way to where it's more affordable and people can get access to great health care. That's actually something that's worth it and not something that's just draining, um, draining all the wrong people for all the wrong reasons. Okay, I'm going to move on to our uh, our quick fire round where we take questions from uh, our listeners, and I I don't always randomly assign them to people. Some of them will be focused, uh, but but they don't necessarily all have to do with uh, the virus or healthcare right now. Although, as you might imagine, um, that's what's on a lot of people's minds. So um, we're just going to go uh, with one for each of you, uh, and and you can answer uh, as quickly and thoroughly, whatever as you want to. Matteo Portelli, it sounds like, from Instagram asks, um, Antonia, I'll give this one to you. Do you think emotional polarization dismays teenagers from engaging with politics? Well, I do a lot of work. I'm the director of outreach for Gunners of America, and I focus a lot on student outreach. And so that's my passion. That's my heart is talking to a lot of students. And a lot of students come come to me and ask me, how are they able to engage in politics 
um, because they don't know where to start. Um, I think part of it is that, yeah, a lot of young people, including myself, growing up in the last even just 10 years of seeing politics and not being interested in being a part of it because of the partisanship, because of not seeing actual solutions that really work for everyone. And so I think part of it is just to say that we need to encourage young people to know that their vote counts, that when they are their voice counts, that they can stand up and speak out about the, the issues that are important to them. Um, I always take it as a one one on one approach. If I can help one person change their mind on politics, then I, I'm doing my job. And so I think that's part of it is that we the social media age where if you don't have thousands of influencers or uh, followers, um, then you're you're not really doing something. That's that's not true. At the end of the day, it comes down to face to face type of changing minds and hearts and minds. Okay, Sally Steve from Butte, I'm assuming that's Butte, Montana, asks, wasn't sure Andrew so. Yang the man? Yeah. <laughs> wasn't <laughs> Andrew Yang the man for the moment? What am I supposed to do with that question? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, hey. <laughs> we honor our listeners' questions, so I do mean, with it whatever you okay. choose. I got, I got, uh, well, you, you, uh, I should say, uh, you know, I know this isn't uh, the time exactly, but I should say, um, because it's late, you know, this isn't my, uh, this is not my ideal time. So my brain starts to fade. So I should say <laughs> I have inordinate gratitude uh, to Andrew Yang for two reasons in this moment. One, because, uh, you know, he anticipated even before uh, we saw this sort of out of nowhere global pandemic, uh, that the changing nature of the U.S. economy and the global economy would uh, necessitate what incidentally has been a good idea even before, which is the idea of a universal basic income. And obviously, uh, in the wake of this pandemic, a lot of uh, people, including Republicans, uh, took his idea off the shelf, as it were, and are uh, at least in a short-term way implementing it. Uh, he also, by the way, has my enduring gratitude because uh, he, in in uh, sticking with those principles, supported uh, the One Fair Wage Emergency Fund for service workers, restaurant workers, and other gig workers, uh, which is providing that sort of short-term emergency cash assistance, uh, which I helped to launch, uh, ofwemergencyfund.org, uh, everyone, uh, if you want to support or if you want to apply for uh, assistance and support if you are a worker. Uh, Andrew Yang made a very generous donation to support that and is very aware, as we all must be, that not all workers, not all service workers uh, are going to be beneficiaries of public assistance, including the emergency public assistance from the federal government. So, look, he was right on that. Uh, I think a lot of uh, the things that Bernie has said suddenly, you know, don't seem so fringe, but seem like, uh, you know, pretty core central ideas like this would not be the kind of crisis it is if everyone had uh, access to affordable quality health care, including uh, Medicare for all. I think, look, obviously, or for those who know, Liz Warren was my candidate and hell, I think she'd be <laughs> amazing president at this moment because Lord knows she has a plan for all of this. Um, so, you know, again, it's, it's what I, you know, if we really want to talk about the Democratic, uh, all the candidates, with maybe uh, the exception of one or two or three, um, uh, had the well, they were. Know, just, we, he was really just asking about the I one. Know, the but I know, but I'm sorry because I can't just answer them. <laughs> well, feel free to go through every candidate well, no, no, who's no, ever no, run. No, for all I was going to say like, was, I feel like we had a really <laughs> strong bench of really, you know, 
visionary candidates with a lot of great ideas. And the great thing going forward is that we get to be the party that includes and incorporates all of them. Sally, I feel like I'm gonna need, we need to get you some antidepressants. You seem a little sad <laughs> right oh, now. Oh, were you kidding me? <laughs> no, how, can you be, how can you not be sad in this moment? I'm so, it's sorry. Oh, but this is... oh, come on. You're so light and funny usually. You're supposed to cheer me up. Oh, Let me move on to um, I'm Anna. sorry. It's <laughs> how just, dare you? you know, this is uh, what pandemics <laughs> do to me. I guess. Right. <laughs> Anna, this is Anna, preventable Yuri, deaths Yuri make me from, sad. Okay. Yuri from Denver asks, Anna, should Congress be able to vote off the record? No, I think that part of the um, part of the beauty of us being a open and very public society is we should know exactly what our congressional representatives are doing. I think uh, full transparency is probably the best thing that could be done for the United States currently. I want to ask Aida the same question. Aida? Yeah, I agree. Should with Congress me. be able to Absolutely. vote off the record? They should be held okay, accountable okay. for where, they, because that we talked about it earlier, and she talked about it earlier. Then we we know who's in their pockets, who's writing the checks, and we understand. It, it, I, I'm such a big advocate of local government and people being aware of who they're who they're supporting that's affecting their everyday lives, and they don't because they're so caught up with the national stuff that they don't pay attention to the district attorneys and the sheriffs. So yeah, we need to know what you're voting for, who you're supporting and who's paying you. And you, you know, we, we, we knew not to love Cory Booker because we were like, well, Oh, I'm interested, he's I'm interested in this. I didn't see, I mean, I, I didn't get this question until you know, this afternoon. So I had not seen that someone had sent it in. And normally this is quick fire and we don't stay on it. But now I'm sort of interested in it because Aida, you mentioned, you know, we want to know who's padding their pockets. We all, yes. you know, it seems to be, there's an agreement there, but if, Congress were voting off the record, would they not be able to not have to be in someone's pocket? I mean, not being able, being able to vote your conscience versus voting based on what a special interest has asked you to do. Um, would they be freed up to do that if they were they able to vote off the record? Now we go back to Anna's point about people. Um, I just, <laughs> I think that are they going to vote with their with their conscience? No, I think they need to be held accountable, and they are they are public servants, and they are working. They work for us, and they are they should be totally accountable for the decisions that they're making, and we should know about the stuff that they're doing because it's because of the things that we don't know that they're doing that we have so many problems. Okay. Um, um, I'm going to end with this one. I'm going to give it to you anyway, Aida, but it's quite rhetorical. Um, We take any and all questions from viewers. Uh, This one's from Instagram, JohnSka50. He says, here we go, to the liberals, Democrats up there, how can you honestly support your party right now? Uh, you don't have to answer that because the goal of this entire podcast is to see how we're going to get along. I'm not sure that that question was asked in the spirit of getting along necessarily. I I will answer it. You know why? Go for it. I don't don't support the Democratic Party blindly. I am not a cult member. I am a human being that has, Mm. that's well within my faculties. I'm multidimensional. There are some things that I do not agree with, with a lot of these politicians. And it is my right as an American to question them and hold and take them to task. So when, when we could all say that about everybody, people say that to, to people who support Donald Trump blindly all the time. How could you with good conscience support a man that refers to human beings as this, that said, grab them by the vagina? How could you, how how about you allow me to just be a a human being that has, that is multidimensional. And I think on many levels and I don't support 
everything that the Democratic Party does. Neither do I support any politician blindly because I think that that's the problem. It's the idolatry and the worship that has us in this problem. Those people are public servants. They're not rock stars. They're not famous. They're not celebrities. They are public servants and we need to put them back into their proper place. I think that's a perfect place to end right at this segment, because I will say all four of the panelists tonight have criticized their own party at some point this evening, which is one way, which is, which is one way, like you just said, Aida, uh, for people to be independent. And maybe that's how we, maybe that's how we end up getting along at the end of the day. So, uh, we're going to end the evening like we have the past few weeks, uh, with an opportunity for all of our panelists to, uh, tell us some creative, interesting, entertaining, informative ways that we can beat the quarantine as we're stuck in our houses for the next, what seems like maybe four more weeks? Who knows? Um, uh, we want to ask all of our panelists to tell us about something that they are working on themselves that we can, that we can watch, where we can see them, where we can hear them. Um, and at the same time, um, tell us something that they specifically are being entertained or informed or enlightened by while they are stuck in their house houses um, over the next few weeks. So uh, let's start with Anna. Anna, what's where can we see and hear you, and what can you advise us or, or recommend to us to entertain ourselves? So with? you guys can kind of always uh, check on my political rants and what I'm doing in regards to commentary on my social media. So um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Real Anna Paulina, and I actually do do a lot of videos, especially now I've been going live. I can say that um, I've been really focused on just trying to, trying to reach out to people because there's also been kind of an uptick in depression. And right now with everyone being isolated, obviously, especially being a military member um, and veteran that, you know, you worry, it's called a, a battle buddy theory. And you just, you want to check on your friends and family, especially right now to make sure that they're okay. Um, so I highly recommend that. But something that I've been working on is that, you know, for years when I was growing up, I actually had played the guitar. And it was like, once I went off to college, once I joined the military, it's like, I kind of forgot about it. And um, since this whole pandemic happened, I realized I was at home a lot and I saw my guitar in the corners, very dusty. And um, I busted it out and I, you know, opened it up. And so I pulled up some tabs on the internet and I started learning how to play How I Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. So that's something that I'm working on. And I probably will be recording a video and putting that up. I was about to say, we better see that on your Instagram very soon. Real Anna Paulina. Uh, Antonia, what about you? Yeah, uh, currently I'm working on making a human. I'm pregnant. Um, so that's part of what I'm doing. Uh, just making sure I can get there. Um, <laughs> you know, just a little bit of that. Um, so hopefully by October, everything will die down. Uh, I know a lot of pregnant women are really afraid of what's going on and not much there's nothing that much info out there when it comes to uh, pregnant women and COVID-19. But um, since I do want to plug, Oh wait, did, did you say that I can plug in somebody else's stuff yet? Yeah, or go for it. Go stuff? for it. Yeah. Okay. Do your thing. Well, Whatever you want. I'm really excited about, I'm not even Jewish, but there's a woman named Bethany Mendel who last week literally was just like, there are a lot of healthcare workers in New York who are not able to even eat the food that are donated because uh, they're not kosher. And so she decided as a Jewish woman to just go and start donating uh, p kosher pizzas to healthcare workers in New York. And people found out about it. And now a week later, it's about $50,000 uh, donations um, to just helping healthcare workers in New York. So it's called Kosher 19. And I just I just think it's just an example of the American spirit and uh, people yeah. trying to trying to, you know, actually <laughs> have solutions. That's lovely. And it's nice to be able world. to to take a look at some of the things that people wouldn't normally think of. So that's that's incredible. Kosher 19, you said? 
like COVID-19. Yeah, coachfor19.com. Oh. Yeah, coachfor19.com. Okay, very nice. <laughs> okay, Sally, what about you? Uh, well, obviously, as we've all pointed out, I'm just sad and depressed and trying to make a day to day. I, you know, change from Sally, the, Sally the, recommends Paxil. The day from, uh, the, you know, listen, they're, they're, they're all doing very well right now. Those pharmaceutical companies, right. um, uh, you know, the day pajamas, make sure I have different pajamas for the daytime than the evening. Um, no, uh, <laughs> you're doing better than me then. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's not even a joke is the thing. Um, no, look, I mentioned before, I've, I've, you know, one of the most, uh, I always have found one of the most helpful things in moments of hardship is to help people who have it worse off than you. And, uh, you know, 4 million restaurant workers have already lost their jobs. Another 5 million are expected to in the coming weeks. Uh, not to mention delivery drivers and Uber drivers and Lyft drivers and other service workers. And so um, OFWEmergencyFund.org, I've been pouring my heart and soul into that and to um, uh, helping get cash assistance to people who need it quickly uh, and raising as much money as we can to give as much money to people who need it. And honestly, that is, um, you know, it, 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 I think trying to do good for others is always a good balm uh, and it reminds us that we are really all in this together and we all need each other. Excellent. Aida, you're usually all over the TV somewhere. <laughs> Anywhere we can see you. So right now I've been I've been going on Instagram Live as well. And what I've been doing, though, is I've been staying away from political stuff. And what I do is I bring on a comedian to talk about uh, a time where they did really bad, where they bombed. And uh, and then to share a new joke and then a share a funny story. So I've been doing that every day. Tiffany Haddish has done it. Like I've, I've had quite a few people come on, um, but I'm raising. I'll money. come on because I'm very good at losing things. I want you to come. <laughs> yeah, I love you. I love you so I'm much. Wonderful at, I'm Listen, wonderful at bombing. Nobody stands the bridge over troubled waters like you. God dang it. Don't you ever say that. I love I'm a fan. I was there. I went to that show. Oh, um, my gosh. But I um, I'm also raising money. Um, a lot of people who sew throughout the country that sew for a living uh, from from the middle of the country all the way to Florida that work at the towel mills have lost their jobs. So what I'm doing is raising a fund to pay people, give them a stipend so that they can help make masks for our care workers, our medical workers and and help with the PPE. So I am I set up a GoFundMe. People already started donating. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and it's called Sewing and Sewing in Action. And um, and then I, uh, I wanted to shout out also Frederick T. Joseph, who has done a rent relief program on Twitter. And he's been tweeting. He's teamed up with Cash App and he's been tweeting people money to help them pay their rent mm. uh, because so many people have lost their jobs. So um, that's what I've been doing. And of course, I watch watching Tiger King. I just I was going to say, how, how are we going to make it through this whole <laughs> thing with all four of you? And no one has mentioned Tiger King yet. We were avoiding the topic because I listened I to that click Carol lady. She's like right over the bridge. Oh, right? yeah. Uh-oh. Oh, well, you better yeah. be careful because she's feeding know, people to tigers, why, girls. So that's why I didn't get Tiger King out. But. <laughs> um, Tiger, King, Tiger King transcends all all <laughs> everything um if you haven't seen it you really should that was going to be my th- that was going to be my thing this week with tiger king because i honestly i don't usually like to get involved in and watch things that are overhyped and i uh-huh. just got sick and tired of people talking about how much they hyped it and 
I finally said, fine, I'll watch an episode, finish the whole thing in one sitting of the same pajamas that I had worn the day before, Sally. So you're not alone. Thank with you. That. Thank you um, very much. <laughs> Aida Rodriguez, uh, Antonia Okafor, Anna Paulina and Sally Cohn. Thank you guys so much for being with us uh, this week. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we will be back here next week. Hope whoever, I hope no one just fell off their chair. Um, we'll be back here next week. You can uh, send your questions to our next to next week's panelists at Politicon um, on Twitter and at Politicon on Instagram, or you can email at podcasts at politicon.com. Uh, and we will look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Stay safe, everybody. Stay stay safe, everyone. Thanks so much. It was fun doing this with you. On September 17th, 2009, 24-year-old Maitrese Richardson disappeared without a trace in the woods near Malibu, California, and was never seen alive again. I'm Katherine Townsend, host of the podcast Helen Gone. We're going to try to find out what really happened to Maitrese Richardson. School of Humans and iHeartRadio present Helen Gone Season 3. Listen to Helen Gone on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thirteen Days of Halloween. A remote hotel, the most unusual guests, a tour guide that can't be trusted, and the newest arrival... Is you. Why are you here again? They sound like someone you trust. I know you care. Starring Keegan Michael Key as the caretaker. Please make yourself at home. After all, this is it. One story each night, starting October 19th and ending on Halloween. From iHeartRadio and Blumhouse Television, listen to Aaron Mankey's 13 Days of Halloween on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.